Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We're your hosts, David O. And Carly R. And today we're joined with an old friend and a special guest, my friend Jamie. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited. Good. Uh, where are you from? I'm from Maryland. I've li- I grew up in Anne Arundel County. Now I'm in Howard County, and that's pretty much the only two places I've ever been, except for college at Towson. Um, then failing out of college at Towson, then going back to college at Towson. But <laughs> other than that, nice. right here. Uh, and when were you first introduced to recovery? Ooh, well, I grew up with a dad who could have really used recovery. And so mm. that was a word that was um, both really scary in my house and very much needed. So I think the first time I was introduced to recovery in my life was probably fourth grade um, with him wow. going to a meeting mm-hmm. um, because it wasn't an easy time having his um, addiction. And then... Was that in the 70s? Oh, I know you think I'm an old lady, but it was in the 80s. Okay. So. <laughs> well, Just about 1990. I was born in 82. And so about fourth grade around 1990, okay. I mentioned to my guidance counselor oh no it's okay oh i've known him for a long time i was expecting a 70s question (laughs) well i thought you were julia's age oh yes you're right Uh, she was my ex-husband's age and they were both a little older than me so uh yeah so i mentioned in elementary school i got in trouble and i guess i said something about like drinking at home i don't even know i have i have no memory of it but my guidance counselor started a like kid group for parents who had problems at home and we had to have a permission slip signed and I was excited and I took it home and like (laughs) the house exploded like it was like the secret was out my doubt was devastated like it was not good that group never came to fruition but my dad went to an AA meeting once Mm -hmm. never went again and so that was the extent of what I knew about recovery until I was an adult starting to think about is recovery something I need to consider in my life yeah. And mm-hmm. how long have you been clean or sober? I have been sober for four years, a little over four years now. Um, July 1st, 2019 was when I woke up and just felt a sense of peace and a certainty that I was going to die or I was going to stop drinking. I really felt very calm about it. And um, that was not the case. That's, for yeah, that's rare. No, I was uh, leading up to that. I was in a massive panic for months knowing I needed to do something. And mm. it was like it was making me even drink more and get into a, an even more scary spiral. Um, but that day I woke up and everything was calm. And I was like, this is this is it. And and that didn't stay forever. But that feeling started the trajectory of this. All right. Well, with all that out of the way, I'm going to turn it over to you to share your story with us. Take it away. Sure. Oh my goodness. The story of alcohol is a long one. So, um, so like I said, I grew up with alcohol being kind of a dirty word. We were not, we didn't say beer. My dad was drunk. He was sick. Um, and he was our primary caretaker. So we were in the car a lot with my dad sick. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just a really scary thing. So at 15, when I got my first job and I met a bunch of really cute boys that were a little older than me, it always starts. Oh yeah. They, it wasn't a dirty word for them. They were going to parties and they were like, you know, drinking beer and they had something called jungle juice. And I was like, this is cool. And things taste good. And like, nobody is ashamed. Yeah. So your first drink was jungle juice? Jungle juice at 15 on the deck of a, I have no idea how old teenage person's party. Like I have no idea. (laughs) So that would have been 97. 
I guess so. Yeah, I was in, I, I would assume, 10th grade probably, mm-hmm. if I had to guess, 9th, 10th grade around then. And um, my friend and I went, and it was with a work friends, and they were very nervous to have us because we were young. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were kind of like our protectors, the guys, which I loved because mm-hmm. I thought the guys were the cutest things ever. And thus <laughs> began two quests. Number one, my quest to be comfortable around men and alcohol did that really great. And it and I just mean comfortable as in I could talk, I was mm-hmm. smiling, I wasn't feeling so like scared and shy. Mm-hmm. And number two, there was a world of people that drank without shame and I liked that. It didn't even consider that there was a world without alcohol, but there was this world where like if I went to cookouts with these guys, their dads were drinking beer and it was cool. Like moms weren't mad. And I've associated that with like a life I really liked Mm -hmm. and wanted Um, so that's what I did I snuck it in high school and since beer was a dirty word in my house nobody ever questioned what I was doing or wasn't doing or why I came home Mm -hmm. smelling a little funny Um, and then by college I went I followed the guy that had first showed me jungle juice Um, (laughs) I don't I think that was much to his dismay but I did anyway Um, Eric real quick Google the official recipe of jungle juice because I think there's a lot of like I'm I'm not sure I can tell you what mine was fruit punch and vodka oh oh it's only mine was Everclear and Kool Aid in a red cooler. It was not the you know, I wouldn't highly recommend starting with that. See, now, Jungle Juice, like, to me, well, was just sort of, like, a hodgepodge of, like, all sorts that was just dumped into a container. Now, that So you didn't know into, what was in it. That was the definition in college when I moved into the yeah. rugby house with my boyfriend. Oh, yeah, that's and trouble. Jungle Juice was Yeah, Jungle everywhere. Juice was like, oh, what do we have? Oh, okay. we got rum, gin, whatever, yeah. Tanqueray, put it in there. It's like, yeah. what the fuck? No, 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 no. That, that's not Jungle Juice, what you just said. G- gin? No, that's just, like... Like you're fucking up the drink. Okay. So um, this it is it's vodka and white rum. White uh, rum, oh vodka and white rum? Yeah, not brown rum, because brown rum would again fuck up the drink. Yeah, it would coagulate so, the whole thing. Yeah, um, it'd be all fucked up. Yeah. It's, and then you have Don't like, drink people, it's any, terrible. We're just getting flavor, we're just getting yeah, specific. Like, I mean, this one on WikiHow has like put orange flavored drink, put fruit punch, put pink lemonade, put pineapple, put orange juice. Not juice, just drink. Yeah, just uh, orange no, drink they, they in have it. they have drink they have juice and they have punch so, so it works for everything and that's what i found i yeah. mean it just worked yeah uh so college became the focal point of being out of my house mm-hmm. being unashamed mm-hmm. and being really proud that i could keep up with anybody anything and anywhere Towson's anytime yeah school. and pat Towson was a party school and that was to the dismay of my roommates because they weren't partiers and i was and so uh looking back that was probably not the most fun but i had a good time um and i also <laughs> failed out <laughs> that's all that really matters yeah um so i i i was also i have a have had a desire always to be the good girl and to fit in so this whole time i was telling my parents and telling my teachers that i was doing my work i was doing this there was just always a circumstance that was a problem something else was always the matter there was always something else going on speaking you know? of that like when we when we worked together forever mm-hmm. ago like, I never would have pictured it because I was mm-hmm. like, oh, you're just, you're a total sweetheart. Like, that you're was a teddy my, bear. That, that was, was your my, cover. like, ultimate, like, my whole life. And it's not, it's way beyond drinking. That was, like, as a little girl, I had to be a good little girl. Like, from little, that was just my belief, right? Mm-hmm. And so I took that very seriously. And so telling my story sometimes can shock people that that know me because I did hide it really well. Even my closest yeah, <laughs> friends at that time when I was truly in i was sick i was very very sick at the end 
not nobody knew that even my husband sometimes is like i'm still surprised uh when i find vodka bottles under the sink you know that we were finding things for like a year after of places i had hidden stuff and nobody knew i was just so good at being the good mom the good wife the good whatever you needed me to be in Mm -hmm. the moment just don't get too close i would back off real quick all right, so mm-hmm. back, to, back to Towson. Yes, back to Towson, which was uh, a long process of, of grades slowly dwindling and the focus just continually shifting into um, the party mode and wanting to like attach myself to the guy. That really was. I had a North Star That's outside cool. of me. It, cool. it just was. And so when he left, <laughs> a lot of things dropped out, um, including me of school. And I went home. And a few months later, dove into a new relationship with who would be my husband. Uh, and I met him at Preakness on the infield. And that was this the This is the most Maryland story of all time. <laughs> and Preakness on the infield, if you haven't been there, is saturated completely with only alcohol. I can't even, I do not know if water is even on the infield at all. No, you're not allowed to have water. Yeah. Water is illegal at Preakness. Yep. And so that was whatever. I got two kids out of that marriage. There was fun times and it was not a great marriage. Uh, We liked each other and never had the respect that was needed to make a good relationship work. And he was so much more uh, further along in his addiction than I was that I felt really good about myself all the time. Like I had no problem. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which gave me a lot of freedom and permission to blame him when things went wrong and just know that when I was getting out of that marriage, I would be fine. And yeah. that was just the wave of my my existence with alcohol was that I would use it to cope, then I would get the ha- handle, then I would use it to cope, then I would get the hang of it, right? Mm-hmm. So got out of that first marriage, moved in with my mom. We bought a house in Columbia with my two daughters and really close to my ex-husband so we could kind of continue doing that thing. And um, that was when I realized I needed to stop like <laughs> going towards men and like figure out who I am. Like mm-hmm. I can't be doing this again. This yep. was like a long time of of messing stuff up and um so what I, I was still drinking through that but it was with my mom and she like you know i could kind of like measure myself and i'd have nights of like i was still getting drunk mm-hmm. but i was not like out of control i guess i was like having a good job and stuff until i wasn't until it just got way out of hand it just was years of spiraling down um then um Years, a few years later, I met my what, who's now my husband, my boyfriend, and we, what, we got together on weekends because we had children, so mm-hmm. we only had certain time, and it would always be getting together and drinking would be involved, but it wasn't the primary focus. We liked each other, we were doing yeah, things, yeah. And that was fun, and I felt like safe about that. He had had addiction situations in his life, and I had had it in mine, so we both felt like, okay, we've got this thing, right? Yeah. A few years later, we're every night is mm-hmm. wine, drinking, whatever, whatever it was. And they just came to a point where I was... What was your drink of choice by that point? Oh, by that point? Vodka. By that point, I was doing mini vodka shots with, um, like, chasers for the most part. And it was, like, fun. Like, nobody outside of my house probably really knew that. I wouldn't have done it in, like, company. Yeah. But with my husband and stuff, it was like, let's get some red, white, and blue mini vodka shots. They're yummy. (laughs) And then, like, go eat some pho. Like, go eat some soup and, like, be dumb for a few hours. That was, like, our, like fun time when we first started dating but we carried it through Mm -hmm. into like responsible life and then i sort of carried it through into like everything Mm -hmm. um so by 2019 we we both were drinking more than we should but i was hiding the excess past him and i was knowing that i was having a problem i had a really good life 
amazing kids and I was losing my mind with depression and alcohol and not remembering things and my hands were shaky and I was doing everything I could to hide all of the like actual negative stuff that was becoming much harder to hide yeah um and then in the spring of 2019 I'll say I quit my job that I was in but really I was graciously let go like she let me quit if I'm being really honest Mm -hmm. and at that time I was what I thought I was suffering from was a mental breakdown. I was just so stressed and there was so much going on and I uh, was really having a hard time handling life. And I was drinking so heavily, like that was my cure for it. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking the only time I was feeling better was, you know, if I could just get the thing to calm me down. Yeah. Um, and then I got a job at UMBC that year. Just mm-hmm. however I did that, in spite of myself, I show up to an interview in that condition that I was in. Some of the things that we managed to accomplish, like while fucked up, is like, how did that? Ha- yeah, I how did not, other people let this happen? I just thank my lucky stars that that day I must have been with it enough to show them something. Mm-hmm. And that was when I, I I thought to myself, okay, this is it. Like my husband loves me for who I am. I can't use him as the excuse my kids have dealt with me i i can't use my kids as the thing to get so i wish i could mm-hmm. um i don't like myself enough it's not you know i don't know but this job is like the only thing if i don't do this it's just another failure and i don't know what to do next like i was like coming to terms with this like reality still took a few months that was when i got scared and started drinking even more mm-hmm. and it was like a blur. I mean, those last couple of months were a blur. I don't know what I was like with my family or anything. They, I, I think I hit it the same, but like internally, I was a mess. Mm. And uh, I would cry in the shower. I would like hide and scream in pillows just at the sheer terror of quitting alcohol. I didn't yeah. know what that meant. I just thought, am I gonna die? Am I like what? What am I? I've been doing this my whole life. Who am I? And I had realized it had been years since I had had a night without drinking. I was even if it was just a glass of wine. It's not like I was drinking to get drunk every night but i had alcohol in my system every day for many years and Mm -hmm. that reality was like terrifying yeah um then i woke up like i said oh started getting ads on facebook (laughs) (laughs) facebook recovery yes yes and what i skipped over this was those last like 2008 2018 2019 i did go to a few aa meetings Mm -hmm. And I started reading books. And I read a book by Elizabeth Vargas, who's a newscaster who um, kind of had a, she's got an Alcoholics Anonymous story, an A story. Okay. And it was about her rock bottom and her rock, and I'm drinking, listening to this book. And her rock bottom <laughs> is like, she's talking about how she goes to a park and she like almost gets assaulted and somebody takes her to the hospital. It's a real scary story. Mm-hmm. But at the end of it, she goes, guys, I drank three glasses of wine. Like, as if that's a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Like, she's like, I almost drank a whole bottle of wine. It was so scary. And I'm like, I'm screaming at this woman in my car. Like, you have no idea. And then it hit me. Oh, my God, wait. I'm like, way past that. Is there something I really need to start looking at? So I started going to AA meetings. And I had that problem with connecting to other people and using them as my guiding star. So in those rooms, I like was really having trouble getting honest. I mm-hmm. was like telling my story based on who I was with in the room. So I thought, I can't do that. I need like to learn how to get sober without the distraction of people. Mm-hmm. So I get these Facebook ads for a um, community that had a program for 28 day sober challenge. And mm-hmm. I thought I can do 28 days. And then I thought I can't do 28 days. Yeah. And that spiraled what me out again. Community? It was called One Year No Beer. And okay. it's based in the UK. 
It's a, they've changed the program now. It's not actually a program I probably would join today, but it was the thing mm-hmm. that got me in a room, a virtual room. Mm-hmm. And it was a, you got a daily email and it gave you exercises and it followed a lot of the 12 step principles, which I had really appreciated learning about, but mm-hmm. I couldn't get the room to, I couldn't get the juice out of the room that I needed to, yeah. to connect. So I treated that place like a blog and just started writing my experience truthfully for the first time in my life and Mm -hmm. let people see it and let myself get through that shame and just like fear and terror of the first few days of being alcohol free, really. And at the end of that 28 day challenge, I was like, I think I need to do more, which scared me, but I didn't Mm -hmm. drink in that fear. I just like kind of cried a lot (laughs) in those days. And it was funny because I guess when I had signed up for the 28-day challenge, what I had actually accidentally drunkenly done was sign up for the one-year challenge. <laughs> so I already paid for it. So by the time I got through all the I turmoil... I drunkenly signed myself up for yeah. recovery. Yeah. So by the time I got through the turmoil of that deciding... That like something you would do. <laughs> uh, I wanted to go... I thought, I'll go to the 90-day challenge. Fine, I'll do it. And I'm like shaking and navigating to my account and it says one year. And I'm like... What? Were you afraid of, like, the medical complications? No, it's not that. I was truly, like, I... Now it sounds illogical, but I thought I was going to lose myself. I thought, how can I hold it together? I had built this good girl. Like, I had built me, Mm -hmm. and everybody depended on me and expected everything on me, and the only juice I knew how to use to do all that was alcohol. I did not know how to be me. I had no idea who me was. I was terrified of what was going to come out and truly terrified of did i even like my life did i not like my life i felt like what i had was so good but i was still drinking why was i drinking if i love my life Mm. it was just so much identity terror Mm. i mean really and the honestly there were times when i just wished that if i'd quit i i wouldn't make it through because then i wouldn't have to deal with it i mean it was a really sad sad time Mm -hmm. then i got clean and it was really hard mm-hmm. it was really hard this first hundred days first first 30 days i was proud of myself yeah 50 to 70 wanted to kill everybody i hated everybody i was angry next up to about 100 days i was bored and mm-hmm. then i started learning that i needed to fill myself up with other things and that's yeah. when i started looking at okay it's not just about saying no to alcohol it's about like living like what do i want here yes that's when the journey started mm-hmm that's pretty much it. Four years later, I'm here. I am a life coach and I work at UMBC. I help women learn how to get this identity and get this sense of authority and self-trust. And sometimes that includes taking a journey into alcohol-free living. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it includes uh, physical changes. So along with this alcohol-free journey, Mm -hmm. I was quite overweight. I think when you and I met, I was a little overweight. I had had kids, whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, by the time I was quitting, um, well, by the time I was exploring not drinking i was over 200 pounds i'm five feet tall Mm -hmm. and i was um in a lot of pain two little kids and couldn't like sit on a swing i was like the typical like just like lady getting older with bad knees and i was miserable because my head felt like i was 20 but my body and my activities were like i was 80. so when i started um the alcohol free journey i (laughs) I just decided I had to stop thinking about losing weight because nothing was working anyway. And I was hating myself into that so much Mm. that I couldn't hate myself and quit alcohol. Like that was what got me into this place. I had to figure out how to like just love Jamie as this gross person. Like that's how I saw myself. Yeah. I would like look at other women that were overweight and think, well, at least they're pretty. Like at least they are nice. At least they're smart. Like I just really had no sense of self for myself. Yeah. 
So six months into the alcohol-free journey, I had gained 30 pounds. I was 231 pounds. I was so miserable body-wise, but I was happier than I'd ever been in my life. I was like shining in all my pictures. My eyes were like bright yeah. and I'm like, how is this happening? I like, like me, yeah. but I'm not, you know, I'm even heavier than I've been. Mm -hmm. And the honestly, my- The outside's more matching the insides. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was. And mm -hmm. I, I kind of said it to my husband. I was starting to think about bariatric surgery and stuff. I'm like, I don't know what to do, but mm -hmm. I like am really uncomfortable. And I remember crying, like I was kind of crying it yeah. happened when I went alcohol free. I cried all the time. Yeah. And so he I. said, you know, I love you. Like, I truly love you. Like, love you, love you. That has nothing to do with your body. Like, I just want you to feel good no mm -hmm. matter what that is. And you seem like you feel good now. And it just like broke this barrier of maybe I don't have to also hate myself with food. I don't know. There was something there. Mm -hmm. And I started just focusing on the alcohol free journey so seriously in all of health around like okay well if i walk i feel peace rather than wanting to drink wine mm -hmm. if i get a good night's sleep i don't wake up like with anxiety and want vodka like i started like looking at it that way and i lost 120 pounds over 18 months now i also did eventually look at my health lifestyle i got into intermittent fasting mm -hmm. walking became like a really primary um health tool for like my mindset and stuff yeah. and that was during covid and uh -huh. so we all had time to well i had time to walk um but it was a significant change um yeah. and i lost a ton of weight so i help women do that too and it's from this place of not what can we take away what can we restrict what we what can we do to make you better it's mm -hmm. who are you why do you love yourself what can we do to like open you up to you and see why you're the priority here because you make everybody else that's better. the title eric open you up to you ah you <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a lot of talking but that's where i am now so i got kind of thin i got kind of strong i my husband and i started a couple businesses which never oh and my husband got sober too nice. a week into my journey he had one night that was a little wild. Did like he kind do of, it kind of like the guy way? Like, well, if you're doing it, I guess I'm going to do it. Kind too. of. <laughs> he did it first. And he's like super insightful and sweet and awesome and very quiet. And every once in a while, he just says like the most beautiful things. But yeah, it was like, I think I was on like day eight of mm -hmm. my journey. And he had had a few nights where he was just drinking and... It, I wasn't and I saw him and I thought well I'm just gonna have to he loved me through a lot I'm gonna have to just love him through his journey but I'm not getting pulled off on this and mm -hmm. like the next more I thought that very clearly and I just thought I love you but nothing's gonna put me back there and I was only I was so early in my journey mm -hmm. and the next day he woke up and he said you know I'm ready I'm just gonna do this thing there's no reason and he never had I'm alcohol I think was never his his choice the way it is for me that was never really his mm -hmm. addiction but he stopped and he's never never had another one fantastic mm. yeah all right well we definitely have some questions for you awesome. Car carly please go first i was gonna let you go first today. you want me to go first i don't think you've gone first in in a while in it's a been, while it's been a few episodes i've i've turned over a new leaf uh -huh. <laughs> it's been good um ba -ba -bum. all right um so hmm, which which one am i gonna uh, how, like, so for a long time you were kind of living this double life, mm -hmm. like you were having to hide. How important is that and, like, how freeing is that to not have to live that life anymore and, like, be able to write down your truth Yeah, and, and just live one whole life? That is such, oh, my God, that's such a good question because it's everything. That yeah. is everything. So living the double life, I think, started at that 15 or maybe even before of, mm -hmm. like, what I need to be versus who I am. And mm -hmm. 
And so I didn't know Damn, that it I was a double A. <laughs> well, it's how I live. That was talk about a guiding star. And I saw that in like the men in my life. That's mm-hmm. really what I how I did. So when Will, when my when my husband came into the picture, I, I he didn't need me to be anything for him. Like all of a sudden, I had me to look at, and um, that's when I started realizing, like, oh my gosh, I'm like fitting in everywhere, and there's one place now I belong. Like with him at home, I finally feel like this guard I can drop. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was, I guess, starting to get sober, the that might have been where the terror came from was, wait, I've got these two lives. How do I reconcile them into one? Mm. And that journey of like finding the freedom of who am I? How can I show up? I remember the first time just even saying like lightly on Facebook something about uh, feeling good about after a a wedding I didn't drink or something. And like my heart pounding for days afterwards thinking, is anybody going to think I had a problem? I mean, that was like, well, yeah. I did, yeah, but, you did I didn't but I don't want you to know that. that. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so now, now I'm just me. I mean, there's, yes, I get embarrassed sometimes. Yes, there, there might be things I've done that feel like shamey or whatever, but there's mm-hmm. no hiding. There's no filter. There's mm-hmm. no fear. My kids can talk to me freely about like my addiction, about yeah. life, about messing up. And it is just, I wish this for everybody. I wish that people didn't have to recover from addiction to feel this. Like this is what we get because yeah. we've recovered. And it's like such a gift that I wish I, that's why I help women. I want to give this to anybody, whether you have an addiction or not, you deserve to get to this place of being you belonging yeah awesome what you got carly okay um well kind of tying into that um you at one point in your story you were talking about how like nobody knew what you were doing and how bad it had gotten how like i so i was very functioning like i didn't lose anything when i was in active addiction so how did that being able to maintain and function just play into i guess escalating Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I've got a perfect example. And actually, it's one I've never told. And I'm pretty positive. I'll just get a lot of love from anybody that was impacted by it. But I'm going to just know that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I was in a singing group. I was in a six-member singing group. And we would do house concerts. And we would sing at churches. I was really involved in my church and uh, my spiritual center. And uh these this five me and this five other women would do like acapella and singing with instruments and like sing spiritual nice stuff we do jason Mraz. it was so much fun so fun and that is where my escalation probably is the most like clear to me mm-hmm. because in the beginning maybe i drink a glass of wine while we were like at a house concert or and, and we'd practice once a week and like of course i wouldn't drink during practice or anything right except that at one point Somehow, some way, I was going to practice and I picked up a couple of vodka shots. And this is probably like 11 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday at some oh point because I was really nervous or I think we were having like a bit of tension. We it was singing groups so we'd fight about arrangements yeah. and whatever. Yeah. Okay. So I had two vodka shots and I remember thinking, oh my God, if I hug anybody, they're going to know. So I went in and I knew that the hostess always had coffee and I beelined it to the kitchen and I drank a quick like swig of coffee hot coffee down held my breath and hugged her real quick and then said i gotta go to the bathroom and went to the bathroom and like breathed for a minute and that was the first time i this is what i took from that i got away with it 
Mm-hmm. I didn't take away how embarrassing it was. I didn't take away, oh my God, that was really hard. I didn't take away, holy crap, I got a little bit like warm feeling from the vodka while I was singing. I took away, I could do it there. And that started a problem. I was I was starting to do that more and more. So that, that became a weekly place where I could have maybe just a little shot or two. It was nice. I could have practice. Like it was like I was talking <laughs> myself into this, right? Yeah. And I had, then I had my routine. So then I had, it was like I had conditioned the hostess to know I wanted coffee right when I came in. She's thinking she's being this lovely person. It's one of my best friends in the world mm-hmm. that doesn't know that this is something that happened. Yeah. And she was enabling you through coffee. Had no idea. <laughs> and so she's given me my coffee. I'm swigging it down. I'm hugging her. I know I get there a couple minutes before the other four ladies. So by then I got coffee breath. Then I can hug anybody. Sit down 15, 20 minutes in. I'm warm and I'm singing and I'm yeah. feeling so good. You're caffeinated <laughs> and drunk. This is I, uh, a good, good It was job. awful. It was oh. awful. And so by the end of that group was not the end of my journey with drinking but it had gotten to a place where i was i was i was in a place where i was spiraling at that point and none of them knew one of them had 33 years of sobriety she's one of the people that pulled me through this and helped me and she's been my example she's a great friend of mine and actually she's got i think she's 35 or 36 now years um but she didn't even know she says now she's one of the only ones that knows some of that story and she says now you hit it girl i had no clue she says she saw me drunk one time and i can tell you for a fact she saw me drunk probably 50 times easy if not more and i'm talking more than buzzed like embarrassingly i wish that wasn't i'm not saying that in a proud way it's just the truth of where i was yeah it just it just is what it is yeah and that that's actually like uh a a, it's a perfect example but like my sponsor always told me like anybody who relapses the worst thing that can happen for you is nothing because Mm -hmm. you got away with it and like you go out and you use or you drink or whatever and nothing happens you're like oh everything's okay and then it it accelerates from there you are hit. oh my gosh i remember in the early sobriety days looking at the um so i was in this community and it was like twenty thousand people and it was it was a private facebook community with mm-hmm. a program that you could get emails and stuff right yeah. so the private facebook community would have people that were like coming out of jail getting duis like losing their kids like really devastating stories and i just remember sometimes thinking how easy they have it to not get sober like because i had this perfect life i had a perfect life where nobody knew what was going on I'm so ashamed. Now I do know not everybody was clueless. My kids were not clueless, especially Katie, mm. my older daughter. She knows and she knew and she really? now feels like she has permission to tell me when she, some things that she experienced. Yeah, there were times where I'd be late picking her up or I fell asleep and I should have gone and got her for something or I I had a lot of those, quite a few of those mm-hmm. or she could smell it on me at a Oof. swim meet. And things that, like, I had as a kid, but I couldn't vocalize. I knew what was happening, but all I had was, you're sick. And Mm -hmm. she can now say, like, I don't want to talk about this, but I remember. And I'm like, girl, talk about it. Let's just, it's, you know, I apologize. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Wouldn't have done it if I had the information now that Mm -hmm. I did that. You know, that kind of thing. So, but I love that that's happening, too. Nice. All right. Um, Um... All right. Uh, I want to talk to you, talk about sort of your, and this is sort of just with women in general. Mm-hmm. Like the, I, I've just heard this so many times, just like the progression of men. Like it always starts with like chasing men. So was like, because your dad was always quote unquote sick, mm-hmm. um, was there any like trust issues there? And were there any 
daddy issues that sort of played into your relationships with men and kind of identifying yourself with them? You know, it's fun. I've thought about this a lot. So my dad was a, a like a super great guy that mm-hmm. truly was like a sad person from mm-hmm. alcohol. And so I definitely have like massive issues. I mean, as an adult, I had to, I removed myself from his presence for quite a while because I just, I really needed it to be a safe space to love him. And I mm-hmm. just couldn't do it around him yeah. with his addiction. And um from a very young age i looked at boys as the like it's like i noticed that no they noticed me and and when i say boys i mean young even in kindergarten i had the boys chasing me on the playground to like <laughs> men i could note i would notice that like older people would see me in a car and like do a double take and look at my eyes or something like i noticed that at a very young age and i don't know if that's just because of like daddy issue stuff or mm-hmm. if it's just like that's just something i was very attuned to like the empath part of me mm-hmm. um and i use that in in a way to like validate me so i looked for that everywhere and it was mostly with boys and men yeah. i appreciated that way more than like um you know, a teacher saying I was a good girl, but I wanted that too. I wanted yeah. it all. I wanted yeah. it from everywhere. But the men and the alcohol thing went together because I wasn't going to, I mean, I wasn't going to drink in school because that wouldn't have been being a good girl. So yeah. <laughs> I got that from other places. <laughs> all right. Interesting. Uh, what you got, Carly? Um, you, you seem like you didn't give a shit about boys. You were just like, yeah, it's just a thing. Yeah. No, yeah, probably. I mean, I was friends with all the boys. Yeah. But it was just like that. That was it. Yeah. Well, that was the other weird thing. So it's like I'm I'm making myself like this boy crazy person, but I only had a couple relationships. Mm-hmm. But I was friends with mm-hmm. the boys. I wanted to be cool. I wanted mm-hmm. to fit in. I wanted them to look at me as like this like really amazing person, pretty cool, the one they could talk to. Like it was so important to me to just like f- truly fit in. And the guys was where I could like get that validation the most. Oh, yeah. So that's really where it came from. So and then even like. Like, yeah, with my my first husband, that, like, using that guiding star of validation and the alcohol, it just all mixed together. So, yeah, yeah, that's it fits really well. But then as a mom, I didn't really, I wasn't using it at that point. I had, like, I had had these years. Yeah, it's different by that point. But then I stole the alcohol, so that kind of became the, what do I do if I'm sad? What do I do if I'm happy? What Mm -hmm. if I do if I'm celebrating? If I'm bored? If I'm lonely? It Mm -hmm. just started to fill up all the things. Mm. What you got, Carl? So, are you currently part of a fellowship or community like active in one um i am so it's uh there's a couple um i'm in a it's mostly facebook groups honestly there's a ton of sober communities mm-hmm. on there um oh, yeah. i have one called sober inspired pirates that if you're interested Ooh. in like i love pirates. that oh they're amazing and they're mm-hmm. such a good group of people and they they run it for free and they have like programs and little challenges and stuff and um that's my main one and then i'm in another like very private one that's called the deep duck pond and that's like a much smaller group that's more like um real intimate like Mm -hmm. helping people i feel like more of a mentorship area in that Mm -hmm. um those would be my two main ones and then i really rely still on like quit literature i love reading and listening to audiobooks of like memoirs of people that drank i love uh what's his name Mm, Russell, I can't. Think Russell of Brand. Yes, yes, he's got the he's got the recovery book that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just every once in a while I like to dip into stories like that yeah. and just bring back inspiration and why and anchor to the life before isn't something I need to be ashamed of. But I don't want to go back to that, and mm-hmm. the alcohol will take me back there immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, not yet. 
There's a part two to that question. Go ahead. Um, so since your community is based online, mm -hmm. you talked a lot about connection in your story. So how do you go about connecting in a virtual world? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Oh, that's such a good question. So funnily enough, I found it a lot harder to do the connection thing in person in the AA rooms because I mm. felt so influenced by what I wanted them to see me as, right? So uh. somehow on this online virtual world, a couple things happened. Number one, I just started putting my story out and I knew that people might respond to my post, but I didn't have to read it. So I didn't have to be scared of like what was coming back at me. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd have time to respond if I wanted to. Number two, with COVID, Zoom got really big. Mm -hmm. And so the rooms, the, the virtual rooms have become like such a normal part of my life where mm -hmm. I'll just hop on a coffee chat with anybody. If I hear somebody struggling, I'm like, do you want to just talk? Do you want to just get on? And it's just very, uh, it feels in person to me. It yeah. actually feels like safer. I don't know why it feels safer to me, but nowadays coming in person and talking to my story and helping people that's not a problem because i feel like i'm i can respond in a way that's like me but it took me years to mm -hmm. get that um and the virtual world somehow put up just enough filter for me to like be there show up be myself but know i could like hang up and press the button if i really wanted to and like escape and mm -hmm. it, it gave me the space to grow um so i would say it feels intimate and real to me just like walking in a room but i don't get the anxiety of what a real room okay. does for me and yeah. I, that may not be the case for everybody but i definitely definitely get benefit from it yeah it's it's awesome how like that has kind of stayed yeah from mm -hmm. from uh covid times like mm -hmm. Because having that availability, people with social anxiety, have, being able to have that filter is a good thing. Yeah. Like, they should have that opportunity. And I'm sure there's people out there like, no, you should go in person. It's like, your story is not everybody's story. And I do believe both of those are true. There are people, like, I work with um, something called the human design. It's like this energy stuff, whatever, kind of astrology-esque. It's mm -hmm. a whole other conversation. However, <laughs> the reality of it is some people should be in the room. That might be very true for yeah. them. Some mm -hmm. people should be online. That might be very true yeah. for them. And the secret and the power is stop crossing the lane. Stay in your own damn lane. Let the other person be online. Yep. Like, Absolutely. we learn that in all the sober rooms, right? Like, yeah. no matter what, stay in your freaking lane and, like, work on yourself mm -hmm. all of a sudden life gets a little better so. yeah mm -hmm. yeah like me personally i i don't particularly like the zoom rooms mm -hmm. but i love what that they're there yes i, I love that they're exactly. there for people it's like it's not my chosen thing but yeah. i'm glad that it's there for you yeah totally others. agree um i have a question go ahead okay so i'm stalking you on facebook right now <laughs> uh, oh goodness gracious so uh, uh -oh. question yes um so you have like a blended family right now. Right? I do. Mm -hmm. um, so okay. I guess um, and also great weight loss by the way. Oh, thank um, you. I'm seeing, I'm seeing all that. It's like <laughs> it's wild, I splash it up there. Yeah. <laughs> you have like the compare Instagram photos. It's like mm -hmm. holy shit. Yep. Um, but like talk about that. Like the blended family because yes. it looks like you have teenagers on both sides. So oh, like God. that's and like mm. you guys are sitting on like different sides like your girls are over here like his kids are there like how how does that work yes how does it how do you guys make it work i guess okay oh god you this is so good so and it's such a big part of the alcohol story so all four of our kids are affected by alcohol mm -hmm. um uh he and his wife had their own issues and she's no, got her story you said alcohol wasn't his thing were drugs his uh thing? No, I, I mean 
mean, like, you know, there's, like, marijuana and stuff mm-hmm. going through. But, like, okay. he's just not really the big addiction person. But he okay. was married to somebody who did does have her own story. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And so the kids were definitely exposed to alcohol on the daily mm-hmm. fr- from their, in their relationship. My household was totally, like, alcohol-saturated with my kids. Um, and when we got together, we really did have conversations about that. Even though we were both actively drinking, we're both mm-hmm. like, we don't want our kids to be, like, you know, negatively influenced in the way we were from, like, my parents. You know, like, all sorts of areas. Yeah. It's in our family. However, then we had a very strong drinking household. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were trying to blend these these kids together. I have two... Sev- I have, um, he has a 17-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old son, about to be 15. Mm-hmm. I have... Have a 17 year old daughter and about to be 13 year old daughter so 17 17 15 13 so at the time Damn they were full. yeah they were like 12 12 10 and 8 um and they were so, yeah and they're sweet like beautiful wonderful kids and they were dealing with the stress of blending in a house of six people with two parents that like just were doing their own thing listening to music drinking some time whatever mm-hmm functional but not necessarily present yeah i'll tell you when i stopped drinking everything started to change now it was also during covid where we were all in the house together so i mm. i it's there was a perfect time yeah there was a lot that came out of covid that was awful right but for our house it was like a super gift for yeah. me um we learned how each other lived and acted and worked and that um it wasn't easy i don't even know what to say about it it is a lot of energy and it was really tough and coming out of the other side of it we have an open house where we talk about feelings we um talk about alcohol and sobriety we Mm -hmm. have a relationship with um their mom and i mean my my ex-husband is just a co-parent that's fine like relationships are really genuine and and we really just try to keep wellness at the center of it and love like truly truly and i just don't believe that was the capacity was there with the alcohol i had too much else in my brain yes so, so one thing your husband at the moment he he looks like an engineer like it guy uh-huh. is that right yep okay good um, <laughs> i just wanted to, I wanted to confirm that he is actually we thought it's fun to talk about that so when we got together he <laughs> was um part of the scenario well he was a marine uh so he was my brother's best friend in the marines and we were both married and we like knew each other as like family friends randomly like he's my little brother's friend no big deal Mm -hmm. and then i get divorced and he gets divorced i don't know that we know each other on facebook he's just this angry marine vet like whatever (laughs) dude right yeah like not even at all my kind of guy and i didn't like guys anymore anyway i was a divorced woman trying to work on my own damn self Mm. and so (laughs) then my car breaks down and my brother goes you remember my friend will he's you know I don't know. He doesn't have anything to do. Can he just come? He's a mechanic. He was a mechanic in the in the Marines. He's a mechanic. He can come with us. And he shows up to CarMax, and it was like, I'm not even kidding. Like, lights came on. I saw the Dodge Charger and this man walk in, and I was like, holy crap, that's Will? And then I find out he's divorced, and he's living in town. And then my brother said I couldn't date him, so we um, immediately started secretly dating. Yeah, um, started another secret life. Yeah. Exactly. That was yes, exactly. So one follow-up to that right um is that because i'm stalking on facebook yes i love it um so your your like weight journey though he was with you the whole time the whole time how has that evolved because that's like that's a big change i'm like you know kind of um i don't know i've I've started using reddit a lot more so i'm on like all those like relationship or reddit after dark so i always look at like those things and it's like my husband doesn't think i'm attractive anymore since i've lost weight so like what did like did you experience any of that because that's like a big 
you're a different person. Yeah, right? yeah. No, oh my God, I love this. Okay, so I, I actually think I've got to give, <laughs> I got to give him a lot of credit though because like I couldn't have get, gotten to my own self like without his support. And he's this quiet, tough guy that doesn't say a lot, but when he does, it's like always shocks me how awesome he is. So I was gaining weight getting sober and I was throwing a freaking temper tantrum over. I was upset and it was a shameful thing for me. So I didn't talk to him about it much, but I guess one time I let it slip and he's like, that's when he started, well, actually he said, well, I mean, you're substituting like the vodka with like, other things like soda. soda could that be it and i was like no i hate you so much you know that kind of thing don't take away my sugar yeah and so the next day i think is when he said to me like i know you're upset about this i get it like i understand it but i just need you to know like how much i love you and how much i really don't notice your body like good bad and ugly mm -hmm. this is just not the thing that's like the part of what I love. And Aww. we have a pretty good physical life. Like we're got a good intimate life. So I just had to trust him because he didn't seem like he was complaining. Mm -hmm. So as I was losing weight. <laughs> they never do. Right, right. So as I was losing weight, I kept having to retrust him. I'm like, I got skin places. I'm like weird. My hips, like I've got bones now. Do you, you have know? the excess skin, or were you? I, did you not gain a little bit? I did. Well, okay. So when I was at my lowest weight, I really, I actually got down to like a hundred pounds, and I was teeny tiny, and I felt really well, good. I felt be, strong. I mean, if you're five, yeah, five, five feet tall. Like a hundred pounds is like where you kind of should be. exactly. But that's not where anybody in my life felt I should be because I had lost 130 pounds. So everybody's thinking I'm dying and killing myself and starving myself except him except him who kept hugging me and like seeing how strong I was and saying like you know how are you feeling like asking me questions about like my health and how I felt and never once commenting on like anything except for ingest and like love so he just was like super I don't know uh enthusiastic about my body from every single pound and I kept trusting that until I saw it. And now I just like really love my body. I don't have a lot of self-consciousness about my body and I've gained some weight back and every once in a while I'm like, should I? And then I'm like, wait, where'd that thought come from? Ew, like get out of my head society. I actually really like, like, I like me. I like where I am. I like that I drink Coke sometimes and I like that I can do squats and I like that my husband grabs my ass and I like, you know, I love it all. It's nice. <laughs> But I didn't like it when I was heavier. And I have had that conversation that here's something really interesting. got kind of vulnerable. But like as a woman, as a mom, mm -hmm. your body isn't what you've always wanted it to be. Now, I never mm -hmm. liked my body. So having kids didn't change that for me. But still, things are weird no matter what. Mm -hmm. And when I lost weight, I remember at one point, whatever, something ha something happened. And I had a pretty tight stomach. And he like grabbed what would have been like a love handle yeah. at one point and said something, something very something silly and yeah. then i had to remember don't thinking, lose this part like, i don't even know but like i remember yeah. thinking if i had 30 pounds on me i would have been really offended or weirded out that he grabbed like fat like i i could feel like, like that would have been weird right yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but then i, I gained like a little bit back and he still grabs me everywhere and it's not weird because it's just my body like it's like my own thoughts have been able to be explored in how much that mattered and he just kind of showed the example of nobody else really cares so mm -hmm. you, you you were able to like get past that yeah person. totally yeah, that's cool totally that's cool. and yeah and sometimes it comes up like sometimes if i find myself at the pool or something and i like all of a sudden realize like oh i'm feeling self-conscious and i was like oh wait that's just me because i'm not that way in pretty much anywhere else in my life it's just a circumstance i'm having mm -hmm. i can change that thought
right. That's, that's good. Uh, sort of sticking with that theme and going back to uh, sort of like merging your identities and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you kind of have these two recoveries that, that happened yeah. simultaneously. You had alcohol and you had body wellness. So how have those two things gone hand in hand? Yeah. And uh, like, how, how do they play off each other to ultimately fuel them both forward? Yeah, you guys are such good question askers. So after we did this once before. Yeah, once, maybe once, once or, or twice, twice, I can yeah. tell. Not a rookie here. All right, after I lost the weight, was pretty much when the world was opening back up. And I was super excited because, like, in my head, I'm finally pretty, right? Now, remember, I hated my... Like, when I was heavy and when I wasn't that heavy and when I was a kid, all the thread was I didn't like myself, didn't Mm -hmm. think I was pretty. So all of a sudden, I did. And I knew it was beyond the weight loss. I knew I liked myself, but I still, like, we're women. There's an attribute to physical, right? So I'm thinking... It's men, too. Well, yes. Okay, yes. So people, I'm thinking my image is different, and I'm going to go out there, and I'm confident, and I feel good. Mm -hmm. I show up to the first parent thing, and nobody talks to me. Nobody looks looks at me. I might have gotten one wave from a parent that I hadn't seen in a couple years. Mm -hmm. And... Then it happened again, like at the second event. Then it happened again at the third event. And my confidence from all that I had built just shattered. And I remember even sitting, I was sitting on the edge of a pool chair thinking, why did I stop drinking for this? Like, I actually remember thinking that. And I was starting to like cry, shocker. I don't know how many times I've said that (laughs) word here. And this older woman, this grandmother of one of my young daughter's friends came over to me and goes, Jamie? And I'm like, hi. And she's like, I didn't even recognize you. And I'm like, huh? And she sat down. She goes, why are you crying? I was like, I think everybody hates me now. Like, I talk on Facebook about how I'm sober and I've lost weight. Like, what if it's like a braggy? I don't know. And I'm like freaking out. She goes, Jamie, nobody knows who you are. Not one person here knows you're Jamie. You've lost 100 pounds. Nobody knows (laughs) you're here. And that's when it hit me. Like, oh, my God. Once again, my thoughts are pulling me into like this shitty story of I don't belong. And not one person even knows who I am. So I started walking around like really shyly and gently going hi kim hi Stacey. yes jamie yes i know i know i look different you know i had to have this whole story but i had to build that into my life of like being okay with telling that story and not bringing up the new reason why i was shamed why i needed to fit in why i needed a new second identity i had to hold on to this thing i had Mm -hmm. built and start growing from there and that happened i was very conscious nice awesome what you got yeah um so there's the word shame yeah mentioned over and over and over again seems like it is a theme so what kind of work have you put in to be able to forgive yourself mm. dude you're mm. killing it yeah sometimes i'm on my dude. game and other days i'm not well, I'm... today i am yeah yeah didn't think i would be when i woke up but here i am god i love you you're so amazing so good you guys you look me up and down like that again no <laughs> See, this is what I have at my house, and I'm liking that. That's good. <laughs> that 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 uh, flow of energy is what I'm talking about. That synchronicity of good yeah. so- good questions, good everything. Okay, you asked a good question there. Shame. <laughs> I gotta. I'm sorry. I had to remember. All right, that was a really big one, and here's the reason. I think we all have that and the way to get through it is talking about it and the way to get through it is like bringing it out into the open right but how do you do that like when you're the one in shame how do you do it so 
Um, I can't remember exactly how you asked it, but the biggest question, the biggest thing for me was finding examples of people who had lived through shame and like truly like survived it, like gotten through it and were telling the stories um, so that I could start almost secretly investigating what was even allowed to be thought of as shame in my life. Like I just wanted to hide it. I didn't even want to know what I was ashamed of. I wanted to avoid it all. Mm -hmm. So starting to kind of look at like, um, you know, that maybe the drinking was shameful, right? But it wasn't just the drinking. It was what I had done. Had I hidden? Had I hurt my kids? Like, you know, I had to hurt Katie's feelings or embarrassed her. Mm -hmm. Then it was like breaking that shame into the little tiny components of, okay, yeah, I I once threw up at a block party, a freaking teenager's party, block party in my neighborhood. Yeah. And is that the end of the world? No. But was it the end of the world to me? Yeah. I oh, was yeah. so ashamed. I didn't want my neighbors to see me for a while. <laughs> I, literally, right? I literally have a story about that. Yeah. So I had to like, so working through that and, and asking myself real questions of was it the end of the world? Did I ruin all of those kids' lives out there? You know, <laughs> is there anything I should apologize for? Yes, actually there was. I could apologize to the mom and go, you know, I did that like a couple years ago and it was so embarrassing i'm so sorry like i yeah. wish that hadn't happened i wish i hadn't have been in that space all of a sudden that shame's gone it's over and have i done that in every single space no some of it's like personal rectification but where i can i try to just make it better like you guys like mm-hmm. make amends yeah mm-hmm. right. yeah so actually that happened to me at a party like we're all sitting at like a picnic table and I'm on one end and like, I'm telling a story, just mid story. I just <laughs> cock my head and just projectile vomit. Like I couldn't even help it. It was just like what my body did. And like, I just kept looking away and I was just like, I am so embarrassed right now. I was like, I can't believe that happened. And everybody was like, dude, we're impressed. Did you see how far that vomit went? And I was like, that's not cool. I was like, this isn't an awesome thing. I was uh, so I understand. Yeah, yeah. I, threw up, I threw up in the middle of a street fair in New York. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you do that? Bottomless mimosas. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll yes. Do it. it was. We went. We were in New York for a bachelorette party, and we went to brunch with bottomless mimosas and a drag show. Fun. That sounds oh. amazing. And threw up all in the middle of the street fair, and then. <laughs> Because the people at the sex shop next door were so impressed, they gave me a whole bunch of free lube. <laughs> <laughs> so, it ended up That's a, a doggy story. That's a doggy story. I guess it is. That's 100% a doggy story. That's I was amazing. so embarrassed, though. Like, yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, vomit is so embarrassing. It is so embarrassing. It but is. it's like, okay. So, Sometimes but that is a little, sick, yeah. that's a little different though, because actually I'm pretty awkward and I'm still pretty embarrassing <laughs> and I still do things. Like I will still like trip and fall. And one time I rolled under a taco truck. I was drunk, so I was ashamed <laughs> of it, right? <laughs> but now if I did that, it'd be an embarrassing story. There's no shame. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um, so the layer of alcohol, the addiction, the hiding, the lying, the what does this mean about me is where that shame Hmm. hides and it's like if we can just openly say okay what does this mean about me Mm -hmm. open it up and do i want this to mean something about me or do i want to do this again and make that actually a truth or do i want to make a different choice like oh well we could do something with that Mm -hmm. so yeah awesome all right i have one final question ready uh so you have these four teenagers that are now in the jungle juice Mm -hmm. age range uh so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a weird thing to say. Um, vodka and white white yeah, rum. Yeah, vodka mm-hmm. and white rum with with orange drink. Don't and, do and it. don't forget don't about do the punch it. to juice and the lemonade. And, and the punch to yeah whatever. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So how do you um, 
approach these open and honest conversations with your kids. Yeah. So my husband and I and um, their mom, uh, I would say my ex-husband, he might talk to them a little bit, but he's not as involved in the conversation as Mm -hmm. a collaborative thing as as the three of us. We're pretty open and honest in, um, I think, like appropriate context, but I'm probably the one that most talks about it. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not the mom that ever says like, don't do this, don't don't go there. But I will say things like, um, you know, like I've got two kids that are about to go to college. And luckily, here's what I do have to say. All four of my children, I think, are already way smarter than I ever was. And they all have, they're coming up in a different generation where alcohol is not quite the um, allure, at least not, not in not this as it was. Yeah. But that doesn't mean other things aren't. And mm-hmm. like, you know, well, just like weed is the like, totally the new yep. thing. And none of my kids seem interested, but that doesn't mean they won't be. So mm-hmm. I have, I actually was just having a conversation last night with my little one about how it's not about how good you are, what a good kid you are, how smart you are. It's just about sometimes we get curious and we try things and sometimes we accidentally get stuck and sometimes we start to hide things and lie and that's never okay that's Mm -hmm. where like mom comes in and helps because the truth is i'm never going to be able to tell them not to try not to get curious yeah um but i just try to be really open and honest about the the truth of the spiral of addiction that's what i want them to know about i don't care about anything else i don't care what the substance is i mean there are some I'd rather them never, ever, ever, ever try. And I was, I wasn't somebody that really ever got into drugs. So I don't have a lot of experience anyway, but, um, whether they try anything or not, what their next step after that is, is like where my concern lies. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. whether, whether they're honest mm-hmm. about it. And, yeah. Yep. And like, yeah. And, and, you know, we have the normal conversations. If you get into a place where you need to call me, call me. If you, you know, if you don't, you know, peer pressure, blah, blah, blah. But, but the truth of my conversations are almost always, here's where I was. Here's what I did. Here's how I was feeling. Here's what shame looks like and mm-hmm. how awful it can be and how it can steal your life. Mm-hmm. And let's just try not to go there. Yeah. Let's try to avoid that part. <laughs> yeah. Well, my sister is very much the same. And one of, she was having a party at her house, uh, whatever, and one of her teenage daughters snuck a couple of drinks. Mm-hmm. The next thing she did, like the next day, was told her mom about mm-hmm. it. She was like, hey, I, I took a couple of drinks. And she was like, okay. Because that's, that's the real problem, the dishonesty behind the behavior. Yes. Like, yeah, she was being a little sneaky, but she's a really good kid. Like, so, like my sister told me, she was like, I'm actually kind of proud of her because <laughs> this is like the first, like, rebellious thing she's ever done. But she she couldn't even be full rebellious. So, yeah. yeah but I, and scenario. I appreciate that because I was somebody that was sneaky. And I just think mm-hmm. that's the beginning of everything is like, mm-hmm. when you start the sneak, when you start the, I can't talk about this. I can't tell the truth yeah. about this. I don't Once have a place the, to yeah. show. Once the dishonesty right comes behind it, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it opens up a whole new door. And I actually have one final question, and Eric's really going to appreciate this question. So we're you're definitely the just say no d- dare <laughs> uh, generation. Uh huh. Do you think that program was a complete failure? I do. It's so fun. I, again, because so- it's it's analogous to this question a hundred percent so my i I guess i wouldn't say a hundred percent but my youngest daughter my my daughter Allie's 12 she's about to be 13 she is wise beyond her years and she likes to talk about stuff like this and she's very candid and she's she's the one that told me last year like well you know mom i'll probably drink beer i mean come on let's be real like she's just like (laughs) she's such a little mixture of my my ex-husband and i of the party girl that's gonna have a great time and She's smart. And so she um, was talking about her drug program in school and how she had to role play um, getting drugs 
like with her friends and like and I was thinking to myself I didn't share this with her but I was thinking to myself how in fourth grade um that whole debacle I was telling you guys about it's probably actually how the alcohol story came out because we were having the dare to say no to drugs thing mm. and how my teachers dressed up with like bandanas and like they had like <laughs> fake joints and they were like hey you want to try some drugs it's really cool and like as an adult now I remember my teacher getting really deep into the weeds of how cool it was and how good and now you feel relaxed and great and i'm just laughing thinking that's probably the message we all took from that not the you that shouldn't exactly take it what Eric says. <laughs> like they made drugs look cooler so, yeah. than they were then they did the exact opposite than what they were trying yeah to do. my husband and i always laugh about the like well you offered to give it to us for free and that never came true like what was no, happening no i that never <laughs> happened never i was i never was no. offered a fucking freebie no. well but they were also they made the people who were sober look like like really lame yeah. You know, they were like, do you want to, like, you know, go to church and... Like, no way, man. Drugs are well. for bugs. Like, like, yep. What? It's like, this guy's going to get a Corvette, but he's doing, like, he smokes cigarettes, so he'll he'll die of cancer. But, like, look <laughs> look at, like, Tommy over there. Like, he has, like, he's an accountant. Yeah, yeah and, he's like, studying has a calculus. Job. Like, and yeah. it's like, dude, this guy has, like, two hot chicks in a Corvette, man. Like, I want to be that guy. You know what you're saying? It's like, that's, like, super insightful, though, because think of a kid like me who got that message of, to be a good girl, you have to be perfect, be the accountant, get the good job, and you oh, can't yeah. have alcohol or drugs in that story or you're bad and so instead yeah. that's hidden for me like I can't tell anybody about that part of my life because now I'm the dare example Jesus yeah. like <laughs> now they're gonna throw example. me in a you know uh, uh, frying pan with a cracked egg Eric were you a good kid like were you always seen as a good kid as well uh, until I got in trouble yeah and then uh, when I got in trouble I was like this is stupid because, um, okay, because I was always seen as the bad kid. No, like, I was. I even was my good... friends' parents like were like, "This kid is up to no good." No, I was good Which until I was, fifth but... grade, and I got in trouble for something I did. I didn't do, and I was like, "Well, this system's broken." Um, and I was like, "All right, well, uh, then what's the point of this?" And that's yeah. when I stopped giving a shit about it. And then I saw the Breakfast Club, and I was like, "I want to be that guy." <laughs> and I was like, "I want to hang out with all those guys in secret." That was my that was my message. We all know who David is from the Breakfast Club. It's not Emilio Estevez, I'll tell you that. No. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> all right. Well, we are out of time, but we would love to thank our friend Jamie for joining us today. Thank you. All right. We give you one quick minute to talk to anybody out there who's struggling uh, with anything, with alcohol, mm-hmm. with their self-image, their shame. What do you have to say to them? Yep. Um, if you are out there and you think there's no room for you to recover because you don't have a place to turn or you can't show that side of you or you don't have the time, it's just not true. It's the most important thing you can start to consider for your life. Um, not because it's the right thing to do, but because you just deserve so much more. There's so much more within you that you can hear. We call it wisdom, higher power, connection, whatever you want to call it. That is there and you can hear it if you like yourself and that shame can go away you just got to open up to it and find the resources you need and um you know there's life on the other side yeah all right awesome job thank you for joining us jamie uh here at podcast recovery we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction we work to bring the message of recovery to every addict wherever and whenever it is needed We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. Uh, Go to our Facebook, our Instagram.
Instagram, our Twitter, our website, podcastrecovery.com, to learn more about us. Please join our Patreon and help us keep the mics on because we are self-supporting. Uh, but uh, do you want to plug where people can find you as well? Oh, uh, sure. I'm, I hang out on Facebook all the time. Jamie Cole Serna. You can find me um, and join me and learn all about the woo and the weight loss and the alcohol-free recovery stuff. I'm here to help any way I can. Did you say the woo? The Wu. Like I do the Wu Tang clan. Like oh my god, I am super. My husband has a Wu Tang uh, <laughs> tattoo, so yeah, we could do that Wu too. Oh, I was wow. thinking more like energetics and like spiritual <laughs> and fun and like, connection. The Wu. I was yeah. like, wow, that's, that's totally different. Heck yeah! Well, we've got that too. You just got to come <laughs> to my garage for that. Yeah. Well, the Wu Tang clan ain't nothing to fuck with. All right, everybody. Most importantly, everybody out there, stay safe and stay clean.